0: Starting a brand new year, and we're going to start a brand new sermon series. And I want to kind of hitchhike on an idea that Webby uh, shared last week. And basically, he said, You know, we don't always need new ideas. Sometimes we need to revisit old truths, or we need to be reminded of old truths. Uh, And so today, we're going to start a series, and we're going to cover like the, the substructure or the bedrock of who we are. As a church and if you've been around for a while maybe you know some of this if you're new uh, you you probably don't but we want to talk about what we believe God has called us to do and prayerfully uh, how we hope to accomplish what he's laid on our hearts as a church and we believe this is important because we are a church family and when you belong to a church family it's important to to know its culture it's important to know its values Paul puts it kind of like this in Ephesians chapter two. He says, you are citizens with everyone else who belongs to the family of God. You're like a building with the apostles and prophets as the foundation and with Christ as the most important stone. Christ is the one who holds the building together and makes it grow into a holy temple for the Lord. And you are part of the building Christ has built as a place for God's own spirit to live. That's, that's us, that's the church, that's who we are. Paul's saying that both the Jews and the Gentiles are part of the family of God and and we're being built into a, a house in which Jesus is the cornerstone and, and the apostles and the prophets, they're teaching that we, we find in the scriptures, like those are the a foundation. All right, we see kind of a similar idea when couples decide to get married and they, you know, they build their family or they build their home together. Um, when they, you know, they get engaged, they start talking about things, you know, that's important to them. You know, they talk about their family traditions. They talk about, you know, each of their strengths and weaknesses as well as, you know, their hopes and their their aspirations. That's what couples do when they go through premarital counseling. These are the kinds of conversations that have to happen. And when they don't happen, other conversations will ultimately happen later on you know things will be said you know maybe you know to a friend you know if i'd known that he was gonna you know be as stubborn as his dad or if i knew that she was gonna spend money like her mom or if i knew he was gonna be so mean or if i knew that she was gonna fill in a blank when you don't have those kind of important conversations at the front end of the relationship right if that foundation isn't established early on you know you don't get the clarity that you need you're gonna have some heartache to deal with. Lots of marriages don't last because there isn't enough clarity around the most important things at the beginning of the relationship, right? If the foundations aren't reinforced, those relationships will, will disintegrate. The foundation's not good, right? It, it can be really easy to overlook uh, certain issues and certain imperfections in folks when we're focused on other instincts and impulses. And here's the thing, right? I don't have to tell you this, like no person or relationship is perfect. That's the point. Because nobody is perfect, it would be silly to go into a relationship, into a marriage, expecting perfection out of the people that we're pledging our lives to, but recognizing their aspirations as well as their shortcomings and being able to do the same for our own that can be super valuable if we want the relationship to last. What we wanna do in this series is share who we are and what's important to us. All right, as it is with every family, there are gonna be little things along the way where we disagree or where our preferences diverge a little bit, and that's okay. In fact, it's, it's probably healthy, but about like the big picture things, but about like where we're going as a church, we wanna be as in sync as possible so that we're all moving in the same direction so that we're all pulling the same way we believe that when you join a church you're joining a church family right and to avoid the the injuries and the infighting that tends to follow families we want to do our bit to kind of share from our heart what ours looks like think about these words that jesus spoke in john chapter 17 he said I pray for those who will believe in me through there, the there is the apostles, through the apostles' message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, isn't that an astounding amount of like oneness, right? He wants us, to have like the same kind of oneness, the same kind of unity that he has with God. That's if you, you We could reflect on that for hours, right? That's a huge idea. Sadly, this is not what the world sees when they look at the followers of Jesus. They don't see this level of oneness or unity. More often, when outsiders look at Christians, they see selfishness and territorialism, and backbiting, and infighting. Right? Knowing that we are a family, and we're gonna have disagreements about some small things, it's imperative that we clearly communicate on the front end what's important to us, where we wanna go as a church, so that we will be strong, and unified, and focused the way that Jesus prayed that we would be. All right, Today I wanna unpack the vision and mission of Lincoln Hills, and knowing them like on, at the forefront or keeping them on the forefront of our thinking is helpful because it will help us to be the kind of building, the kind of structure that Jesus uh, wants us to be and that Paul described in Ephesians chapter two. Now, uh, if, if you're in kind of in the corporate world, maybe you've heard the terms vision and mission before. They're, they're kind of like military terms, right? Um, when you hear them, they give the impression that they're... Um, you know, like the, the company or the you know, battalion or whatever, that they're uh, advancing strategically or, or, or tactically. Right? These ideas, vision and mission, they go hand in hand, um, but without a clear vision and without an executable mission, your future, your, your progress is unlikely. Victory probably won't happen if those two things aren't very clear. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 18 says, set plans by consultation and wage war against, or excuse me, wage war under sound guidance. Even Jesus, again, the New Testament in the book of Luke, he reinforces this idea for sound planning and thinking ahead. He says this, don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They'd say, Huh, there's the person who started the building and couldn't fi- afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first setting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? So, again, hitchhiking on the idea that, that Webby left us last week to to kind of ponder, you know, we don't always need to necessarily, you know, be inundated with new ideas. Sometimes we need to to reflect on old truths. We wanna spend some time revisiting our vision and mission as a church. And as the followers of Jesus, we, we feel like this is incredibly valuable for us. It helps us to stay focused on what actually matters so that we can invest our time and energy where it counts the most. Now, vision and mission, they're, uh, they're similar, but they're not exactly the same. All right, again, if you're in the corporate world, maybe you've heard those used and they kind of use them interchangeably. Uh, but for our purposes, um, I want you to think about vision and mission like this, all right? The vision is who we want to be, okay? Vision is who we want to be as a church family. And mission is what we want to do or what we want to accomplish. Or, or, or put another way, vision is who we want to be, and mission is what we want the world to see. Right when they look at us from the outside, they see us living in a certain way. That's the mission because of who we want to be as a people. Right, it's important to get these straight because vision always guides, always informs, always um, influences mission. Right, it, it, it turns out like this is the case in almost every. Every way, right? What we see shapes and influences what we choose to do. Vision is aspirational, and mission is tactical. Okay, think about it like this. Uh, some of you probably watched a football game last night, right? A couple games. Webby was praying for a good bit of one of them. I don't know if you could sense it. The Georgia game, right? He was praying the whole thing. I can tell you, I wasn't with him. I can tell you he was praying. Anyhow. Um, If I said, okay, I want to grow up and I want to be a wide receiver in the NFL, right? If that was uh, who I wanted to be, right? That's the vision that I have for my life. What would my mission be, right? Vision influences mission. If you know football, you know that the one thing that a wide receiver has to be able to do is what? Anybody? Catch footballs. Right, If you can't catch footballs, you can't be a wide receiver. That's just the way that it is. And so if my vision is to, to grow up into a man one day. Why are you laughing? Shame on you people. Uh, if I grow up to be into a man one day and be a wide receiver in the NFL, the one thing that I have to be able to do is catch footballs. And because I want that you know, to be the vision for my life, I'm going to choose. It's going to be my mission to do certain things. Right? I'm going to train a whole lot differently you know, than, it, let's say, if I wanted to be a lineman. Right? Linemen and wide receivers, they both play football. They're playing the same game. But if you're a lineman, you're going to eat a whole lot differently. You're going to lift weights a whole lot differently. You're going to work on certain um, you know, exercises than you would if you were playing this different position. Or, or think about it like this. If, um, if I wanted to become a third-grade teacher right? If I wanted to be an amazing third grade teacher, um, I, I probably need to know things like, you know, math and language and, and science, right? I probably need to be able to do multiplication and, and, and fractions and decimals. Can anybody do decimals? I don't know the last time I, yeah, a lot of, no, I don't know. But if you're a third grade teacher, you have to be able to to not only know decimals, but you have to be able to teach them. You have to be able to do like the order of operations. You remember all that stuff back a million years ago? Now, Again, if it's my goal to be an awesome third grade teacher, I know I have to know those things, but I don't necessarily need to be an expert in like trigonometry or renaissance literature, right? I I wouldn't think so. I mean, maybe knowing those is good, but if you had to maybe get an extra college class, it might be the most valuable thing for you. Again, if your vision is to become an amazing third grade teacher, it might be super valuable or super beneficial for you to spend some time learning how to communicate with third graders or, or, or spending time learning what what's some of the challenges that an eight-year-old faces, right, as opposed to taking another college-level calculus or analytical geometry class, right? If I wanted to become a college professor, maybe those classes would be worthwhile, but not for becoming an amazing third-grade teacher. Who we want to become, vision, influences, what we do, mission. In uh, her book, The Best Yes, Lisa Turkhurst explains it like this. She says, whenever you say yes to something, there is less of you for something else. All right, so what Lisa is reminding us of is we can't say yes to everything, right? No is okay when it leads us to the best possible yes, Sometimes vision-focused people say no to good things because not every good thing helps them to become who they aspire to be. And the same is true for churches. So what kind of church do we want to become? What's our vision at Lincoln Hills? All right, if you've been around for a while, you can even say this out loud if you want to. We want to become the kind of church that makes disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, Right, the great commission that Jesus gave his first followers before ascending into heaven, it was a little something like this. It says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, you might be thinking a couple of different thoughts. right? You hear that and you might be thinking, okay, Frank, I've heard this a million times, it doesn't sound revolutionary. And two, not only does it not sound revolutionary, you kind of sound like a broken record. Right? Make disciples who make disciples. Here, here's the thing. This gets at the very heart, I think, of what Jesus was talking about back in Luke chapter 14. Right? And, and being sensitive to the challenges that are ahead of us. Right? This is a part of good planning. We have to continue to reiterate that we're here to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples because there can't ever be any doubts in your mind or in mine or really of the people that we're trying to make disciples out of, right? We want to become disciple makers. We aren't here to build physical buildings, even though buildings can be a blessing, right? We're not here to become a country club, even though it's important to feel like you have a place to belong, right? We're not We're not just here to pass along information or to make people feel good about themselves even though every single one of us, every single one of you are valuable and loved by the God of the universe and that's great news. No, we're here to learn to follow Jesus and multiply ourselves in the lives of those around us. Right? And here's the thing, we never want to measure our success based solely on whether we can make a disciple or even if our disciple can make a disciple. Okay, true and lasting success is best measured in what the disciples of our disciples are able to accomplish. Jesus modeled this in his life, right? He he, he modeled this in his ministry. Think about what he did. He invited everyday tax collectors and fishermen, political zealots. He, He included sinners like every single one of us into an ever deepening relationship with himself while simultaneously challenging the behaviors and attitudes and habits that he knew were unhealthy or just outright sinful. At at the bedrock, discipleship hinges on invitation and challenge. Inviting people into your life and challenging them to move beyond who they are and into who God has designed them to be. Jesus trained ordinary men and women to live beyond what they believed that they were capable of. And after spending just like three years with them, this tiny handful of, of people turned the world upside down. How did they do it? They turned the entire world upside down because they saw what their teacher did And then they went and did it themselves, right? They invested in others the way that he had invested in them. And again, the world hasn't been the same ever since. Our vision is to become the kind of church that makes disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And and this might surprise you, but we're not in a rush, right? This is super critical. It's, It's the most important thing, but we're not in a rush, right? Because we're talking about real relationships all right relationships take time this isn't just a class that you take and suddenly you know you're done all right, I mean think think about like your time in, in in high school you know how many classes did you take because you just had to have it and you don't remember anything about what you studied all right what we're talking about is transformation and transformation takes time so we're not in a rush that the bullseye on the target for us as a church family is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's, that's who we want to be. That's the kind of church we want to become. And if vision always leads to mission, if, if vision always influences mission, right? If, if vision is aspirational and mission is tactical, what would it look like to execute this vision? Right? What, would, what would the world see if we're the kind of people who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. Well, at Lincoln Hills, we've broken down our mission like this, number one, everyone is a disciple of the real Jesus, right? Everyone is a disciple of the real Jesus. And then every family is deployed for the real Jesus. And lastly, every day is devoted to the real Jesus. Now, let's unpack these for a quick second. See, back in November, uh, we said that there are lots of competing ideas about who Jesus really is. And so it's important that we are focused on the real Jesus, the Jesus of the scriptures, right? At the table, Chris was, was talking about Matthew chapter 16. We spent most of November with that as like the bedrock of where we were going, right? Who is Jesus really? right, and we don't wanna focus on a Jesus that's made in our image, not yours or mine, because that's a faulty, fake, phony Jesus. All right, rather than redefine Jesus into a mold or a model that fits our fancy, we want to strive to submit to the Jesus that we read about in the scriptures. This is integral if we're gonna accomplish the first component of our mission, and that is everyone is a disciple of the real Jesus. All right, a disciple is a student or an apprentice. And in Jesus' day, a disciple would follow their teacher, called a rabbi, around, and and they would go literally everywhere he went. In his book, Multiply, Francis Chan writes, basically, a disciple is a follower, but only if we take the term follower literally. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is as simple as obeying his call to follow. When Jesus called his first disciples, they may not have understood where Jesus would take them or the impact that he would have on their lives, but they knew what it meant to follow. They took Jesus' call literally and began going everywhere he went and doing everything he did. It's impossible to be a disciple or a follower of someone and not end up like that person. Again, Paul reiterates this in Ephesians chapter five. He says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. We're rooted in the real Jesus, not the Jesus of pop culture, not the smorgasbord Jesus, not the good teacher Jesus, but the real Jesus. The Jesus we read about in the New Testament, who loved unlovable people, the Jesus who prayed for his enemies and sacrificed for his friends. And it's our goal, not only that we know the real Jesus, but that our lives mirror or reflect his. Like that's what disciples do. They imitate their rabbi. John captured the heart of this perfectly when he said, if we say that we remain in union with God, we should live just as Jesus Christ did. What's step one of our mission? What do we want the world to see when they look in on us? We want them to see a bunch of sold out disciples for Jesus, whose lives look just like his. From here, we want every family to be deployed for the real Jesus. Deployed is another example of of a military kind of language. And, And it gives us the idea that our families are in the midst of a gritty, battle, and we're kind of sneaking around in enemy territory, and I think this is exactly how we need to think of ourselves and our time here in this place, right? We need to think of our family units like we're in the middle of a war. At least, I think Paul seemed to suggest that. He said, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places, And then Peter echoed this same idea. He seemed to think that we were in some kind of a battle too, maybe not a physical one, but a spiritual one to be sure. He said, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. There's no other way to slice it or dice it. You and I, our families are in the middle of a war. We're in the middle of a a hard fought battle. And we would be crazy to go about our business like, like everything is peaceful, like, like the world is, is, is cozy and safe while bombs are dropping all over our neighborhoods and shrapnels flying around us everywhere. Sad thing is, that's how most Christians are living. They're, they're living like they're shell-shocked or they have some kind of spiritual amnesia. Right, and, and instead of prepping for battle, you know, putting on boots and, and maybe some kind of helmet, they're they're operating like they're preparing to go to bed. Right, going to bed and going to battle, you're going to dress a whole lot differently. Right, you might put on a robe and some slippies if you're going to bed. You're going to put on, you know, a bulletproof vest or Kevlar or you know, again like some kind of helmet if you're going into a battle zone. But most Christians. They seem like they're ready for bed instead of ready for battle. And instead of fighting the enemy, we fight each other. Fact is, we are at war, and our kids are a target. I wish it wasn't the case, but it is. It will take you literally seven seconds to turn on the news and hear about some of the just really crazy things that are going on in schools all over the country, right? When, when we're debating on, you know, whether we should have drag shows in libraries, call me old-fashioned, but that sounds nuts. Or whether there should be litter box in your kid's middle school. If you don't think that we are at war, you're mistaken, and having your head in the sand is not an okay response. But here's the thing, like you know, we hear stuff like that on the news or maybe you see it on Twitter, or on Facebook or whatever, and you say, well, if that ever happened in my kid's school, I'd be going down there and I'd be giving them a piece of my mind. And while I can agree with your sentiments, I can tell you what your school board needs is not a piece of your mind, they need the heart of Jesus. Okay? If we are gonna have an influence on our culture, we can't pretend like we're not in the middle of a war but they don't need you, you know, acting like the rest of the, you know, the world. They need to see us reflecting Jesus, full of truth, full of grace. Fact is, you are the biggest influence in your kids' lives, and we wanna be a church that supports you, that pours into you. We wanna nurture your faith, strengthen your resolve. We wanna help you navigate the landmines that the enemy sets out to sabotage your relationship with God so that you can lead your families as good as you can. And here's the thing about being in a war zone. Yes, we are in a war zone. Don't kid yourself. But because we are in a war zone, there are opportunities literally everywhere for your family. Right? There are POWs everywhere. They've been filled with propaganda and half-truths and misinformation for their entire lives. And we are strategically placed in a position that we can do something about it. We need families deployed on ball teams. We need families deployed in marching bands and in theater productions. We need families deployed for the real Jesus at the YMCA, in the ROTC. We need families deployed playing soccer and Frisbee. Little League T-Ball. We need families deployed for the real Jesus in all of these places, not to kill time, not to you know, entertain, not to earn some kind of scholarship, deployed for the glory of the real Jesus to point those people back to him so that they might possibly escape the war that they are in unaware with their souls. Final component of our mission is that every day is devoted to the real Jesus. There's a saying, um, it goes, uh, how you do the little things is how you do everything. Okay, at, at the heart of this statement is the idea that at any moment, somebody else, some outsider, some, some person around you may be forming judgments about your credibility, your capability, your competence, or your convictions. Every day, people are making assessments about you, and if we claim to be Christians, like at the office, but we're always showing up late, or we disrespect our boss, or our words are foul, or our work is shoddy, you know, it's not very good, it's so-so, it's just enough to get by, that says something about us. If we say we love Jesus, but we're constantly yelling at our kids, or we're belittling or bad-mouthing our spouse when they're not around? That says something about us. If we aren't the same men on Sunday morning at 10.30 when we're in here as we are at 8.30 watching a ball game at Cluckers or hanging out with, with a buddy, we got a real problem. Sunday isn't devoted to the real Jesus. every day, is devoted to the real Jesus. Every day belongs to him. Writing to the Corinthians, Paul strongly encouraged that young church to do everything, even down to the way they ate and drank, as an act of worship to God. Right? Paul understood worship wasn't confined to Sunday mornings for a three-hour block of time, you know, in the safety of a building, Worship, in Paul's worldview, from a biblical perspective, should be reflected in our offices. It should be reflected in our factories, in our schools. He says to the Colossians, he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord, not for human masters. And I don't know about your boss, the boss where I work is awesome, but your boss he may be hard to deal with. Sometimes worship is gonna be hard. But it's all the more important that we live like Jesus, that we model him, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. If you change oil, you need to change the oil like Jesus is driving the Chevy that just pulled into the shop, right? If, if you serve tables, if you're a waiter or a waitress, you need to wait on the tables like it's Jesus who's just placed the order, you work at a doctor's office, look, we know you make us wait in the waiting room longer than you have to. Like we know you do it because you can. Okay. Next time you need to pretend that it's Jesus that you're making sit out there watching season 44 of days of our lives. And then you need to repent and you need to make things right. What we do every day and how we do it matters. Regardless of how trivial or mundane it may seem, it's of value to God. Because every day is a gift from him. We should be devoted to him. Paul urges the Romans to go so far as to present themselves as sacrifices. He says this, he says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies, how? As living sacrifices, what's that look like? Holy and pleasing to God. Why? Because this is your true and proper worship. Without a clear vision, your mission will almost always be compromised or or jeopardized. If, If we can't see the target, if we're not sure where we're aiming, we're not gonna know what to do. So I just have to tell you guys, there is... No shortage of churches who are determined just to make people feel good about themselves. Right, there's, there's no shortage of churches, and maybe you just came from a church that, that was you know, determined to make you feel bad about yourself. Right, there are even churches who are determined to tell you why the world is so screwed up and that there's no hope for it. Now, Lincoln Hills, we're not interested in just making you feel good. Again, Jesus came full of truth and grace. You need to know that you are loved by the creator of the universe, but sin has separated you from him, but Jesus has done something to bridge the gap between you and your heavenly father. That's the truth and that is gracious. We're not just here to make you feel good. We certainly don't wanna make you feel bad And if I can be just like totally transparent, the United States, Western culture, they don't need one more church that's just interested in making excuses for why things are so bad and why there's no hope for the world. We're here to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. As we wrap things up this morning, I, I want you to consider a question with me. What could things look like if the world around us were to peek in and and they saw the believers here following Jesus, imitating his example in every facet of their lives? What impact would it have on our community if everyone was a disciple of the real Jesus and every family was deployed and on mission for the real Jesus and every day was devoted to the real Jesus no matter where we went or what we happened to be doing. I can promise you that people around us would notice. I can assure you that many of them would want the kind of joy that we had in our lives and I can tell you that some of them would even turn and begin to follow Jesus for themselves. I can also promise you that some of the problems that weigh us down, the concerns that keep us up at night and the fears that that just sap the sweetness out of of our lives would disappear in the shadow of Christ's cross if, if that was who we became, the kind of church who makes disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, where every One was a disciple of the real Jesus and every family was deployed for the real Jesus and every day was devoted to the real Jesus. People would see that, they'd want it, their lives would change and some of the things that just drive us crazy, they wouldn't matter nearly as much. We are filled with the same spirit that Jesus' first followers had and God can do through us what he did through them if we're willing and if we're sensitive and if we're sensitive to the spirit living inside of us. Most importantly, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never made the decision to follow him for yourself, you can do that today. You don't have to wait. You don't have to put it off. You can invite him into your life to change you from the inside out, to to take the sin that separated you from him upon himself, and allow you to walk out of this place pure, holy, pleasing, and perfect. If you're not sure what that looks like or you got questions about that, we're gonna sing one last song. I'll be right up front. I'd love to talk to you about that. If you got stuff going on in your life and you just want somebody to pray with you, there's a couple of purple lamps in the back. Invite you to just head back to one of those while we're singing, and there's gonna be somebody back there who would love to pray with you. You guys will go ahead and stand with me. We're gonna sing one last song. And if you've got a decision to make, this would be the perfect time to do so. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus and for his sacrifice. Our prayer is that as we strive to to live like him, as we strive to honor you with the way that we live, that we will be sensitive to your spirit that we won't try to operate in our strength or our wisdom, but we will lean on yours, that we'll listen to the Spirit, that we'll study the Word, and that we will be resolute in our mission to, to make disciples. Father, thank you for Jesus. Help us to live in a way that magnifies him. And, and Father, if there are folks in this room who maybe don't have a relationship with him yet or who, who need to know more about him, I pray that you give them the boldness that they need to begin those conversations so that they don't take one more minute away from you. God, you are so good to us and we just thank you for loving us as passionately and and sweetly as you do. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.